Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. All right, if you need a Bible, just wave at one of these guys walking down the aisle right now. Maybe you've forgotten yours at home or in the car, just wave at them. And uh, when you have a Bible in hand, or if you already have yours, turn over with me to Psalm 19. That's where we're going to be at today as we're going through the book of Psalms, Psalm 19. Before we dive into today, though, I want to talk a little bit about next week. Uh, we are going um, to be looking at another Psalm next week. You think, wait a second, it's, it's Resurrection Sunday or as most people know it, Easter Sunday. Yes. Let me ask you a question. How many of you were alive and remember where you were on November, November 22nd of 1963, the day that President Kennedy was shot? All right. Look at that. I'm told, those of us who lived through 9-11, uh, and of course everybody remembers where you were, or the Challenger exploding. I remember where I was the day the Challenger exploded and what I was doing. These, these major national events, they, they, they reach our psyche. And those, anybody here remember Pearl Harbor? You were alive and remember Pearl Harbor. There's a few, a few that remember that. These have been great tragedies in our, in our nation's history. They, they mark our national psyche. We remember great detail about them. What if, now President Kennedy was shot in 1963. What if in 963, a thousand years earlier, someone had written a document and in that document, they said there would be, a thousand years from now, there would be this great country that was a superpower, greater than all the other nations in the world, and the leader of that country would be struck down at a young age in his prime by a weapon that fires metal, great speed at great distances, and it listed out all the details of what this would take place in, this, in, in, this, in a city, you know, and it, and it listed out all the details of President Kennedy's assassination, but it happened a thousand years earlier. We'd stop and pay attention to that document, wouldn't we? I mean, that would have great significance if a thousand years before it happened, someone wrote about it. Do you realize that a thousand years before Jesus was crucified on the cross, David wrote about it? He wrote about it. In detail, he wrote about it. So next week, we're going to look at Psalm 22. This week, I'm telling you in advance, all right, not going to, I'm going to go ahead and let the surprise out. Next week, we look at Psalm 22. So that way, this week, if you want to be reading along with me, you can do that in preparation for next Sunday. But Psalm 22 is an amazing psalm. It's called the Psalm of the Cross, and it is a picture. But I want you to understand something about it. There's two parts. Matter of fact, there are two parts to a lot of psalms that David wrote. There are two parts to the one we're going to look at this morning. But there are two parts to Psalm 22. The first is this suffering and this torture, this unbelievable experience that, that we now know Jesus. He's not named in that passage, but we know it's Jesus, all that he went through. But then around verse 21 or so, it changes, and there's a whole different tenor from there on. We're going to look at that next week. It's a powerful, powerful passage, all right? So as you're joining us, I would say this also. We are doing one service um, this year. I mean, we have our, we have our 
classes and prayer time and all at 9.30. But as far as this service goes, we're going to cram into one, and it probably will be crammed, all right? So be prepared for that. If you're used to showing up at 10.50, you may have a hard time getting in. We'll do our best and work things around, but we're going to cram in and move around. Now, here's the nice thing. Uh, when the kids all leave for Elevate, we all automatically free up 50, 60 seats, usually right away. So hang around in the back. There'll be a place to sit. Um, but um, just know that it's going to be nice and tight. You say, well, why don't we do two? Because I don't want to. All right? <laughs> I like being with all of you at the same time. All right? And, and I believe the Lord's going to allow us to fit. And, um, and we're also going to pray the fire marshal doesn't come next week. All right? So anyway, we'll all be here together and we'll have a great time. Okay, um, Psalm 19. We're in the series, Seeing Christ in the Chaos of Life, and Psalm 19 is where we're at this morning, and the title of the message today is, What Are They Saying? What are they saying? To who? What are who saying? What are you talking about? Well, the, the psalm begins with this declaration that the heavens declare... They're speaking out. They're numbering the glories of God. All right? We're going to get to that in just a minute, but that's how they start. The heavens, the creation is speaking. What's it saying? What's it saying? We're going to look at that this morning. Um, how many of you know the first food consumed by human beings on the surface of the moon? The first food eaten by human beings on the moon. Anybody know what that was? So I asked my family that this week, and somebody said, Tang. Um, no, it was not Tang, although they may have had some Tang up there, but it was not the first. Um, the first food eaten on the surface of the moon was communion. It was the Lord's Supper. Say, How did I not know that? Well, there's a reason. NASA was being sued at the time by Madeline Murray uh, for the, the Apollo 8 mission, and so they did not want it broadcast what took place up there. But Buzz Aldrin who was an elder in his church uh, in Webster, Texas, had gotten with his pastor before he left, and he took a small piece of bread and a little pouch of wine and a little cup with him. It was part of his personal possessions that he took on that flight. And so once they landed, once the lunar module landed on the moon, they had a few minutes before all the other things began, and he stopped. As a matter of fact, here's what he said, and it's a quote. Houston, this is Eagle. This is the lunar module pilot. Speaking, I would like to request a few moments of silence. I'd like to invite each person listening, wherever and whomever he may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his own individual way. He then proceeded to take out the elements of the Lord's Supper, and he read, he had prepared a card, a note card, before he left. And this is actually a copy of that note card. On the top, um, he read this verse before taking the Lord's Supper. I am the vine, it's out of John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he talks about abiding in him and bearing much fruit. And then in the last part of that verse, because without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. On the bottom half of that card is a verse we looked at last week in Psalm 8, where he's looking around, he said, when I see the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, all that your hands have made, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you even give him a second thought. First food eaten on the moon was the Lord's Supper. It is incredible what the heavens do to us, what space, what creation in general, even things here, what God has done. See, 
what man does can be impressive. What God does is glorious. It's just glorious. And that's what Psalm 19 is all about. Psalm 19 is all about revelation, the revelation of God, and it comes in two forms. The chapter is divided into two parts. The first part is a visual communication. It says speaking and voice, but literally it is a visual communication of God declaring, all of creature declaring, creation declaring who God is and how glorious he is. And it begins this way. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now I ask you, or I said the title of this is, what are they saying? So if the heavens are declaring, if they're speaking out, the, the Hebrew word, they're literally, they're numbering. The heavens number, and by heavens here, he's not just talking about the sky above and the stars and the moon and all of that. That's part of it. David saw a lot of that as a young shepherd boy. He's out under the stars at night. He sees all those things, but he sees all of God's creation, every, bit of, every part of it. Do you know how many times that Jesus compares himself to some part of creation so that you and I begin to get a different aspect and view of who he is. When he talks about he's like the sun, or he talks about the fact that he's living water, or he talks about that he's the lamb, all right? He's a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All of these different pictures that we see talk about who Jesus is and being able to get this revelation to give us a picture of a small glimpse into his character and who he is. The heavens declare, they number the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's an interesting Hebrew word. It's made of two parts. The first part would be project or work, what we would think of if you're working on a project, and we'd say that's your handiwork. This is the project that you did. That's the first Hebrew word. But the second Hebrew word that's combined with it is the word for power or strength. Literally, the sky above proclaims his power and his strength because of the work that he does, because of these little projects that he's had, the things that he's created and what he's done. So what is the sky proclaiming? What is creation proclaiming? What is it declaring to you and me? Here's the first thing it's declaring to you and me. Your view of God is too small. Your view of God is too small. And when I say you're, I mean me too. I put me in there with you. Our view of God is too small. J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago. It's a good little book. It's very thin. Your God is too small. It's a a wake-up call for us. Do you know the problem that we have as human beings? Our view of God is too small and our view of us is too large. We think too much of us and too little of him. He says, I want to reverse that for you. I want to change that. He said, I have set it up. I I have designed creation with this purpose to declare, to number my glory, to show you who I am, that you would be in awe. We were, we got away this week, um, spent a few days up north Florida, near St. Augustine, and one night we were over walking there around St. Augustine, the old historic part, and down by the fort. We were walking around, and it was just before the sun went down, it was a beautiful evening, and I kept noticing a lot of, of young people, you know, I'd say 20-somethings, um, sitting around individuals, small groups, some were studying, some were reading, some were just kind of sitting there looking off into it. But they were scattered here, there, and everywhere as we were walking. And I thought, that's interesting, because there were other tourist people that were there. and other, But, you know, just all of these seemed different ones, kind of the same demographic, same age group sitting there. And I thought, I wonder what's going on. And then it dawned on me, Flagler College is just across the street, just a couple blocks away. Now, if you spend your entire day in a little dorm room or in a classroom... What do you need? You need space. 
See, there is something ingrained in us, whether we're a believer, a follower of Jesus or not, there is something ingrained in human beings that draw us to the glory that God declares when we get outside. And we move out. And that's what they were doing. They were just sitting there. It was refreshing. How many have found yourself doing that at times you just felt overwhelmed, burdened, just, just you can't think straight, and it's like, I just need to get outside, be able to see the sky, see the trees, see the flowers. I just need to, I need to get out of this for a moment. How many have found yourself at that place? Right. You know why it's that way? God set it up that way. He designed it that way. The heavens declare who he is. Now, the heavens are not an end to themselves. They're not declaring their own glory. Whose glory are they declaring? His glory. The problem with man is we make a God out of creation and not the creator. They're simply designed to bring us to the creator, to, to take and to change, open up our view, our, our understanding of who God is. Your God is too small. My God is too small. I want a bigger view of who God is. And I'll tell you how this works. I want you to think right now of a problem in your life. Don't look at anybody. Just think, all right? <laughs> problem in your life look straight ahead look at me okay that problem seem big to you is it a big problem is it one that you're not quite sure what to do with it and the things you've tried up to this point don't seem to work you don't seem to have an answer for it See, the problem is, is that you and I tend to look at all of our problems in relationship to us and how big we are, how strong we are, how wise we are, how capable we, capable we are, and what resources we possess. And we tend to look at all of the situations and the circumstances in our life based on that view of us or the people that I know, the people that are close to me. But what if I take that problem, that situation, and I take it outside and put it up against creation. Does it seem as big? No, why? Because my view of God is too small and my view of me is too large. And that needs to switch. It needs to change. I've shared with you before how often I like to go out here under these trees. And, you know, I tell the staff I'm going to the trees. It's not because I worship trees, okay? I like trees, but you know, I don't worship trees, you know? But somehow when you move into what God has done and what he has created and you're, in the, you're kind of immersed in it, it takes my focus off of me and my strength and my power and I begin again, God begins to do through his creation what he designed to do, which is to remind me of who he is and what he does and his power. Can I give you a challenge? Can I give you a challenge this week? And see, the nice thing about this challenge is you live in Florida, Okay. If you lived up north right now, you would not want to take my challenge probably, all right? But here's the challenge. Take some time every day and just stop. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to take this thing, whatever yours looks like, okay? And you need to leave it somewhere. Don't take it with you. The world will not end in the few minutes that you're out there without this. I promise you it will not end. And if it does, it needed to end anyway. You're not that important. I'm not that important. It'll be okay. Just leave it. Leave your laptop or your tablet or whatever else. Leave it too. Leave it. You say, but it's my Bible. Okay, that might... As long as you can be disciplined not to do other things with it. If it's just your Bible, that might be acceptable. All right? 
just immerse yourself. Take some, say, how long? Some of you are sitting, I know you're thinking, how long? If I do this, how long I got to do it? All right? It doesn't. Five minutes would be great. But I was asking the Lord that. Lord, how long should I challenge them to do this? You know what? I felt prompted back. 24 minutes. 24 minutes. Take 24 minutes. Hey, can you take 20? My wife asked me, she said, why 24? I said, because it's a tenth of 24 hours. I don't know. You know, 24 minutes. Um, actually, it's not really when you take and break it all up. But anyway, it just came to me. 24 minutes. All right? It's 24 hours, 24 minutes. There is no, and, and again, five minutes would be great, 10 minutes, it doesn't really matter, but take some time. The nice thing about taking, the reason 24 minutes I think would be better for you, that sometimes it takes a little while for you to get into this. Your mind and your body's still all over and all that other stuff. Just kind of enter in. You know, I carry one of those folding lawn chairs in the back of my, in the trunk of my car, just for this purpose, on a regular basis to find a spot and just stop, say, I'm just going to sit for a minute, Lord, just with you. If you have your Bible, that's great, you can read your Bible, you don't have to read your Bible. You can just talk to him. You can just listen. You can just watch. What does he want to say? Again, we're not worshiping nature. We're not pantheist, okay? We're not deist. We're not any of that. We worship the creator. But he created this because he said, all of this declares who I am. It points me, it points you back to me. So I want you to do it. We are in a culture where we live our life going very fast, confined by all kinds of things. And we miss the very thing that God designed to reveal himself to us, which is creation. That's what Psalm 19 is saying, the revelation of it. Your view of God is too small. Look at the next verse. Verse 2. It says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Again, what are they saying? God is constantly communicating. That's what they're saying. He's constantly communicating. Day to day, night to night. He's pouring out speech. He's talking. He's sharing. He's communicating to you. He's expressing. He's revealing. It's who he is. We were made in his image, and we are communicators. He made us to communicate. We are made in his image. He is a communicator. That's what he does. It's interesting that all the things that Jesus could have said of himself, when he named himself, when he said, I am this or I'm that, when he came in John 1, he says, I am the word He communicates. He speaks. He's constantly communicating. The question is, are we listening? Are we willing to slow down, to disconnect enough just to listen? Are we willing to do that? The answer most of the time is no, I'm not willing. So we keep charging on as though somehow in our effort and our energy and our charging on, we're going to find something that we haven't found the day before or the week before or the year before, but somehow this time it's going to be different. You know what they call that, right? Insanity. Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Just stop. Because he's speaking. He wants to speak to you. Sometimes people say, Troy, you talk about hearing God. and, and all. If you knew how simple I am when it comes to hearing God, you would not, you would not sit in awe or think, well, he hears God and I don't. It really is simple. It is not complex. It's not difficult. He just talks. And not jibber-jabber. I mean, I don't want God, I don't want you to think God is just a blabbermouth. He's not, all right? But he speaks. He communicates. I ask questions. He gives thoughts. I stop and sit, and he gives thoughts I wasn't even, to questions I wasn't even asking. He loves to do that. Prompt your heart with things you didn't know. 
to bring certain passages alive. It's like, oh, is that what that means? Is that how that fits, Lord? Because I'm asking him a question, and he brings a verse. I thought, Lord, I would have never put that verse with that question. He said, I know that's the reason I told you. He communicates. He loves to do that. He's constantly doing that. Look at the next verse with me, verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, there's nowhere where he's not speaking. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. And then he has set a tent for the sun. Now, David, here's what I think, and this is just my opinion, okay? I'm not a Bible scholar. I do study it, but I'm not a scholar. But this is my opinion. David's getting so overwhelmed at what God has done that now he's trying to describe it, and there isn't words. So he's getting poetic and all that. He's, he's just trying to be descriptive. He said it's kind of like this tent. God's created this tent for the sun, and the sun's coming out like a bridegroom, and he's running out to go get his bride. And look at the next verse with me, verse 5, which comes out. He's talking about the bridegroom. The bridegroom comes out like a, he comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. So he's got this picture. Here's the guy who's going to get his bride. He's been waiting. And again, this doesn't mean as much sometimes to us as it does in the Jewish culture, but he's been waiting for a long time. And according to Jewish wedding custom, the young man couldn't go get his bride until the father said it was time. Until the father said, it's ready. The house is ready, what you're preparing. That's the reason Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, and when it's done, when it's ready, I'll come get you again. And someone asked him one day, Jesus, when is the time? What's the hour? And he says, no man knows but the father. The Father knows when it's ready. The Father knows when it's the right time. Then I'll come back and I'll get you. So here's this picture. Here's this young man who's been working and he's been waiting and he's all excited. And finally the Father says, you can go. You can go get her. And he takes off. Man, you don't have to tell him twice. He's going. Now, ladies, you think, oh, that's so romantic. He could come in the middle of the night and wake you up, curlers and all. I mean, the whole day or or whatever you do, cold cream, whatever happens in the middle of the night there with you he could just barge in that's the reason these stories in the new testament where it talks about the bride comes in the middle of the night and the 10 virgins and five of them weren't ready they didn't have oil for the lamp that's the reason for these pictures because of these jewish wedding customs but david he is so overwhelmed at what he sees and what god is revealing he doesn't he's trying to put it in some kind of terms that people can understand and it's inadequate he goes on, verse 6, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the ends of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. He, so just another way of saying, God's, he's continually speaking, and there's nowhere that's hidden from it. His voice goes everywhere. His voice is everywhere. That's the reason in the New Testament says that there's none, none will be have an excuse. All have heard. You say, wait a second, all haven't heard the gospel. Yes and no. All right? All have heard the revelation that God exists, that there is a God. That's what creation is saying. It's the reason there's such a desire to destroy creation. It's the reason that so many, because if there is no creation, then I don't have to deal with a creator. But if there is a creation, this question was given to me years ago, and it has been very helpful in talking to people through the years. People will be arguing with me about Scripture, about this, about that. And I'll just stop and I'll say, let's, let's suppose for a minute that everything in this book is true. I know you don't believe that, but let's suppose everything in here is true. If everything in here is true, is there anything in your life that would have to change to be consistent with this book? And they say, yes. I say, so it's not really a question of whether God exists or whether this is true. It's whether or not you want to change. That's the real battle, isn't it? That's the battle for me too. Not just you, by the way. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I have the same struggle. I come to his word. It's like, do I really want him to change me? To be consistent with what I read. So 
everywhere. The knowledge of God is going out. It's, it's being spoken. Why do we take the gospel then? Why do we send missionaries? Why do we do all that? Because the revelation that God exists is everywhere, but the revelation of how to be in relationship with him is not. And that's what you and I do. God is. He's already there. But now I want to come tell you how you can be in relationship with him. That's the good news that we get to carry to people. We get to tell them. So you have all this. What does this mean? We know that our view of God is too small, that God is constantly speaking, but what's this also tell us? That everyone can hear. Everyone can hear. He can be heard anywhere by anyone. It's available to you, to me. Now, the writer of Psalms changes gears here. And then he goes into the Word. He... um, He's been talking about creation and what we can see and us having a bigger picture of God based on what we see around us. He's been dealing with outer space and now he's going to deal with inner space. He's been dealing with all the stuff on the outside of us. He says, now I'm going to deal with the stuff inside you. And he talks about the word or it begins with the law of the Lord, the Torah, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord, the the witness of the Lord, literally, it's the word. The witness of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. It gives wisdom to those who don't know. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. He goes on, he says, the statutes, I believe the next one is stat. No, the commands, the commands of the Lord, they're pure. Enlightening the eyes, they give light to my direction. The, the command, literally what he has ordained. That's the command, word command there. What he has ordained. What he has said, this is how it works. And this, the reason God gives you and me commands is because he's, he set certain boundaries. And if you and I live outside those commands or outside those boundaries, there's a great consequence that comes to us. So he says the commands, they enlighten the eyes. They give you vision. They allow you to see what you couldn't see before. The fear of the Lord, and I always like to translate that, those who take God seriously. The fear of the Lord, those who take God seriously. It's like the picture, how many of you have ever been pulled over by a police officer, a state trooper, or any of that kind of thing? All right, look around, all right? No, I have to, all right? I know my fellow speedy ones out there, all right? Or you may have been pulled over for some other reason. Um, Isn't it interesting You've been ever driving down the road and all of a sudden everybody around you slows down and you don't know why they're slowing down and then you look and you see a police officer or a state trooper or whatever and then you realize, and everybody not only slows down to the speed limit, they slow down below the speed limit. Have you ever noticed that? Why? Because they take them seriously. That's the fear of the Lord in a human poor illustration, but that's the fear of the Lord. You take it seriously. You take God seriously. Do you realize that there's an epidemic in our country of not taking God seriously? We just don't take him seriously. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then he goes on. Moreover, now here's where some people get lost in this. Because he's listed out all these things. And you think, Troy, I read my Bible, but I don't get what the psalmist says here next. More to be desired are they than gold. (laughs) 
I don't know, Troy. I, my Bible's fine, but I wouldn't mind taking a few pounds of gold, too. I mean, that'd be all right. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I don't know. And I talk to people. It's like, I, I can read the Word. I can be in God's Word. It doesn't necessarily taste sweet to me. I don't necessarily feel like it's more precious than gold. You know why? See, this is something that the Lord made so clear. I I shared this with you, I think, last week or the week before. When you come to God's Word, ask Jesus. Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit. By the way, you can ask any of them. They're one and they're three, but one, and don't get confused with all that. But ask them. What questions do you want me to ask about this passage? What do you want me to see here that I haven't seen before? And he'll give you questions that you never thought to ask. Do you know what I saw in this passage that I've never seen before? Do you know why it's sweeter than honey and more precious than gold? Because every one of these seven things that are listed here, commands, statutes, rules, all these different things, precepts, every one of them have a phrase after it. The commandments of the Lord. Precepts of the Lord. The statutes of the Lord. All these things of the Lord. The testimonies of the Lord. The focus here, and our problem is, is we've often made the focus on the written word and we fail to realize, like the Pharisees failed to realize, that God gave us the written word to bring us to the living word. Now, I am not belittling the written word. Please understand me. If you know me, I believe it, I study it, I preach it. But the purpose of this is the same purpose for all of creation, and that is to bring me to the living one, to bring me to God, to bring me to Jesus, to point my attention there, to hear his voice, to communicate, to be in relationship with him. Most of my life, I looked at this as a textbook. It's an instruction book. I do this, and God does that. I do this, I get this right, and God, and then, then everything's good. I get this, I'm blessed. I do this, I'm cursed. I get it right, I get good. I, get, I do it wrong, I get bad. That was my whole focus on this. And so it was constantly going to it as though it was an instruction manual. In fact, we've even said that, the Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth, right? I mean, we've heard all of these different things. And it is, there is instruction in here. I'm not belittling that, but that's not the primary purpose of the book. The primary purpose of the book is to bring us to Jesus. How do we know that? Jesus said so. He was talking to the Pharisees and he says, you search the scripture because in them you think you have eternal life, yet they are they which testify of me. They bring you to me. They bring you to real relationship with me. That's the reason. If you were to say to me, it's not more precious than gold or sweeter than honey, I'd say you may still be looking at it as though it's just an instruction book that you're supposed to master. That's not what it is. It's the living, inspired word of God that brings you to Jesus himself. Every page, every book points to him. And how you and I can be in relationship with him. How we can experience him on a day-to-day basis. He goes on, verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. The things that are in here, are good. They, they do warn me. They, they, give me. they show me where I'm going I, and help me understand. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is understanding all of these. Why is there great reward? Just because I keep these things? Do you realize there are lost people who keep things that are written in this book? They do. But it won't help them in the end just because they kept things written here. 
See, it isn't the goal just to be able to keep the things in here. It is to allow this word to lead me to him. In keeping them, there's great reward. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his error? It's a rhetorical question. We can't. Clear me innocent from my hidden faults. In other words, his word leads me to Jesus where he reveals those hidden errors, those things I don't understand about myself, those hidden faults, and where he brings cleansing to them, by the way. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, from prideful sins, from those things that I do willingly and knowingly. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent. Again, all of creation and all of God's revealed word bringing me to Jesus in this relationship with him where he's doing this process of changing, where he's keeping me back from presumptuous sins, where he's taking dominion over my life, where he is producing in me what he has already made me to be blameless and innocent. I love the illustration that Bob Hamp uses. How many of you know the name Bob Hamp? How many of you ever heard Bob Hamp? A few of you. Uh, I like Bob a lot. He's, he, he wrote a book called um, uh, Think Differently, Live Differently, I think is the name of the book. And Bob uses an illustration, and I, I like it a lot. But I think because I like chocolate chip cookies, okay? And uh, who doesn't, right? Anybody not like chocolate chip cookies? All right, we're going to have a prayer meeting for you when it's all said and done. All right? Love chocolate chip cookies, all right? My favorite, hot out of the oven, not fully cooked. Still gooey. I love them. Some of you want your stuff crunchy. I don't want crunchy. I like gooey, gooey, ooey, gooey. All right? Love them that way. Okay? Now you're all hungry, right? We'll be done in a few minutes. Bob uses this example. You never see a chocolate chip cookie sitting outside the oven going, oh, I'm going to try really hard to be a chocolate chip cookie. The dough, you know, you got all the big lump of dough. I'm going to really try hard so I can be a nice, round, gooey, gooey, tasty chocolate chip cookie. You never see a chocolate chip cookie outside the oven trying to do that. Actually, you never see a chocolate chip cookie talking, period. If you do, you have other issues. Um, But you don't see that, right? No. How does the chocolate chip cookie become this ooey, gooey, wonderful deliciousness? How does that all happen? You put it in the environment of the oven, and what it already is is revealed. Do you get that? Do you see the picture? Most of us are spending our life outside the environment trying really hard to be what God says we already are. I'm going to be the chocolate chip cookie. I'm going to get myself in the right shape and I'm going to be the right texture and I'm going to be at the right temperature and I'm going to be ooey gooey to the deliciousness. I'm going to do that. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. You can't. You were never designed for that. You already are. Now just put yourself in the environment. All I do now is put myself in the environment, and the environment changes me. That's the reason he created creation. He says, in this environment, this is one of those environments I've made for you that helps bring your attention back to me. So you can recognize it's not you, it's me. You quit looking at you, you start seeing me. Where your focus is, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Not looking at me. You look at you very long, you'll get discouraged. I promise you. I look at me very long. I, you know, life isn't worth living if I focus very much on me. But if I focus on him, it changes everything. I love that illustration, not just because of chocolate chip cookies, but it helps me visualize I want to be in his presence. You ask me as a pastor, what is your goal here each week? One goal. 
that each of us would encounter the presence of the living God. And when you do that, you are transformed. It's being in the oven. So who he's made us to be, we are. By the way, that doesn't just happen inside these four walls. That happens every day. Must happen. If it's not happening every day, all the time, you're miserable. All right? You're miserable. Because you, you get a fix at certain times when you're in certain places with certain people, but it doesn't seem to last. And you're miserable at these other times. And Jesus said, I didn't intend for you to live that way. I want you to know my presence, experience this every day, everywhere, wherever you happen to be. Because I'm speaking. I'm speaking everywhere. It's available to you. I want to read you something. Actually, I can't read it to you because I didn't bring it with me. All right? So... I'll just tell you about it. Beth Moore wrote an article recently on Christianity Today. I'd encourage you to read it. It's it's all right. It's don't worry about it. Um, she wrote this article. I think the title of the article is "When a Big God Escapes Us." I think that's the title. When a big God escapes us, and I believe it was on Christianity Today, maybe like the twenty fourth. So if you go back and you search for it, you look for it. It's well worth the read. There are parts in there that really stood out to me. She talks about her childhood, growing up, three generations all going to the same Baptist church. She was the second to youngest. She said, we filled up a whole pew. She said, my maternal grandmother lived with us, and so you had three generations singing out of the Broadman Hymnal every week. How many of you know what a Broadman Hymnal is? All right, a few of you. But she goes on, she says that we were there, and she said, what I began to discover as time went on is that we were there often going through the motions, hearing the words, singing the songs, but in far greater need of Jesus than we actually realized. And what we needed Jesus to do was to go when we left that place and get in the car with us and go home with us and transform us when we were behind the drapes and when... And, and all these messes and things that were part of our life. She goes on in that article and she says, I was 27 years old when I was sitting in a Bible study class with a guy who was so in love with Jesus and excited about his word. I walked out of there and got in my car and said, God, I don't even know what that was, but I have to have it. I have to have it. How many have been there before? It's like you've encountered God. It's like, I don't even know what that was, but I have to have it. That's the way I felt the first time I attended this pastor's conference in Brooklyn. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I forget. And I walked out of that place and I remember thinking, I don't even know what that was, but I have to have it. I have to have it. Jesus, he's more precious than we've realized. He's more powerful than you've even imagined. He is capable of producing in us what we never thought possible. The heavens declare his glory. The sky is proclaiming his power, his handiwork. All around us, he's saying, here I am. Just come to me. Just come to me. Quit fighting and struggling to do it. Quit looking at your Bible as though 
It's a textbook that you're going to master one day and be transformed because you mastered it. No, it's a letter, really, from the one who loves us, communicating who he is and drawing us to him. In Luke 4, and this is part of Beth's article, but in Luke 4, you have people who came into a church service in a synagogue, into a church service. They were minding their own business, doing what they always do. If somebody was, you know, whatever their synagogue service looked like. And then somebody said, well, we should read the word. You know, that's important. And somebody hands a scroll to Jesus. says, here, why don't you read? And he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. And he starts reading he gets to Isaiah 61, which is what's recorded in Luke 4 for us. He gets to Isaiah 61, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's ordained me to preach, to proclaim good news to the poor. To set captives free, to bind up those who are brokenhearted, to let the oppressed go. The things that he says, to declare that today is the day of God's favor. The day of the Lord's favor is today. He finished reading and he says, today this is fulfilled. I am what you've been singing about and reading about. What you think you've been pursuing and pressing into, I'm it. I'm it. And they would have none of it. If you read that account in Luke, they were upset. Jesus messed up their church service. And I think, yes. More church services should be upset. The greatest tragedy for you and me is to live our lives as believers, to come in and out, to interact with one another, to, to read the Bible, to sing, to pray, to do all these things and never really encounter the one that it's all about. That would be the greatest of tragedies. Psalm 19 says he's revealing himself. He reveals himself in his creation. He reveals himself in his word. And the reason he reveals himself is so that you and I would be in relationship with him. And that begins at salvation. That begins by confession that begins i'm a sinner lord and i need you it starts there for many of you you've done that you may be here today and you've never done that that's where it starts that's the beginning you say i don't know how to do that we'll help you we'd love we always have prayer partners when we finish the service we always have prayer partners we'll help you with that if you don't know how but many of you have done that but here's the thing i had accepted jesus i had prayed and believed and all of those things and, and tried to walk through the years for probably well 30 years, 30 years of my life before I really, really encountered Jesus for who he is. You say, weren't you saved? I believe I was saved. I believe I had been converted, but I never knew what it was to encounter Jesus. Never did. I tried. I did the best I could. You know, this series, seeing Christ in the chaos of life, we keep looking at the chaos in our life as a bad thing. Actually, it can be the greatest blessing you ever experienced if it leads you to him. 
if it causes you to finally give up on all this other stuff that you were trusting in and all, the, all your own labor and effort, and you just come to him. You just come to him. I want you to do something with me. You should bow your heads. Lord, I'm asking you to come play. There are things at times I want for you so badly it hurts. You know how you feel with your children when there are things in their life that you can see or things that you want, things that you desire for them to understand and experience, and they don't see it yet. And it literally, it hurts. I feel that way sometimes, especially at a time like this. We come to this point. Maybe it's because I spent 30 years doing the Christian thing and not really knowing who Jesus is, what he wants to do. I don't know. Maybe it's because most believers that I talk to they're doing the best they can they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth but it just doesn't feel very real to them and I realize that even in this moment there's there's nothing really I can do that will make anything real for you. Jesus does that. All I can do is be that voice. I can be that messenger that says, come to him. That's what Lori's playing right now. Come to Jesus just as you are. Just come. And you say, Troy, I don't know how to do it. Then tell him that. Jesus, I don't know how to come to you. I, I want to. I hear this. I don't know how. Then just tell him. I don't know how to come, but here I am. And what I don't know, I just bring it all to you. Here I am. I say, but Troy, life hasn't worked out the way I thought. It, hasn't, it doesn't look the way. I, I did the best I knew how to do. I followed and tried to obey the best I knew how, but it hasn't worked out the way it was supposed to. I would say to you, come to Jesus just as you are. say, Troy, you don't know. I mean, for others that may work because, you know, they've lived better lives than I have. But you don't know about my life. No, and you don't know about mine either. And I would say to you, come just as you are. Just come. The revelation of who he is is all around us. 
but it's there for one purpose, and that is to bring us to him. Just come. Say, well, how do I do that? You just do it. Don't make it hard. Don't make it complicated. Don't try to overanalyze it. Say, Jesus, here I am. I come. What about that thing I'm afraid of? Come to him. Bring it to him. What about the uncertainties of life? Bring them to him. They're always going to be there. You're always going to have some new ones. Bring them to him. What those questions I can't answer? Bring them to him. Some of you are thinking, Troy, I want it to turn out a certain way. How do I guarantee a certain result? You can't. So bring that to him too. Bring it to him. Lord, in this room, right now, we just come to you. And Lord, I'm not preaching at anyone. I'm just talking with them because I'm in the same boat. I have to come to you every day. I have to come to you. So I come just as I am. Lord, we come just as we are. For that one struggling right now, they're trying to figure it all for their, or the enemy's accusing them and lying to them, saying they can't come. We stand against him in your name and your blood, Jesus. He has no authority here. And Lord, call them to come. By your spirit, call them to come. Like Peter in that boat, Jesus said, come, come on. And what if we start, Lord, and when we start to sink, it happened to Peter, but you were still there. You were still there. You grabbed him. You had him. Oh, Jesus, reveal yourself. You are. You do it in creation. You do it in the things all around us. You do it in your word. Do it in us, Lord. Reveal yourself. We say with those in Jerusalem that day, 2,000 years ago, Hosanna, save now. Jesus, we look to you and you alone. For the things that are in our life, for the people around our life, Lord, we don't know how to help them. We bring them to you too. The same thing that we do, we do for them. We bring them to you. We're like the four men bringing their friend who was, he, he was bedridden. He couldn't come. So they brought him, lowered him down into your presence. Lord, they couldn't heal him, but they could bring him to you. So, Lord, we come. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are who you are. You are good. Thank you, Father, for your plan that you would sacrifice your son for us. That you would pour out all the guilt and all the shame and all the condemnation that we deserved, that you would pour it out on Jesus and that he would pay for it and take it away. Thank you. Cause that revelation to be greater in our hearts and minds than we have ever known. 
And Jesus, we just come to you. Thank you for what you're doing. Before we dismiss, and you're still in an attitude of prayer, I want to do one thing. My heart really does. It just... It cares for you. (laughs) I care for you. In ways I never even imagined possible. And I would imagine that there may be one or two or ten or fifty, I don't know. That would say, Pastor, there is a part of me I want to be able to come to Jesus, but I also am just, I really struggle with it. Just how and what does this all look like and what does it all mean? I just really struggle with that. Would you pray for me? It is my privilege, and it would be my privilege throughout this week to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand up and put it back down? I'm, I'm the only one looking. Thank you. I see it. Just pick it up, put it back down. Pick it up, put it back down. Thank you. Lord, it is my privilege, it's my calling to be able to lift them up, and I do. I lift each one to you. I thank you for their honesty. Jesus, pour out your grace starting now, throughout this week. Pour out your grace. Move in ways. Cause them to see and hear you in ways that they have not prior to this. Lord, I stand against the enemy, every principality and power of hell, in the name and the blood of Jesus. They have no authority in their lives. Cause your angels to encamp around them, Lord, because they take you seriously. And you promised to do that. And allow them this week to experience joy they've never known in coming to you. Peace that they've never experienced, greater than they've ever known. Love that just flows from a, a place that's, that's endless. Thank you, Jesus. Because that's what you do. That's who you are. I thank you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.